0: Father, this morning we just come to you. Author and finisher of our faith. Do your work in us, O God. Because we know from scripture and from experience, what you start, you always finish. Because you are faithful. Even today, Father, I pray you do your work in us. Because it is through your word you have done everything and will do. I pray even as the ministry of the word takes place, there would be a breaking of strongholds, thoughts, imaginations brought to the captivity of the knowledge of Christ, healing in the body and the mind for those who are struggling for your word says in psalm 107 verse 20 i sent forth my word and healed you of your diseases i pray for deliverance for those who need deliverance i pray for strength for those who need strength let it all happen lord as your word goes forth. And we believe. Because your very word says the word of God has power to work in those who believe. So give us faith to believe today, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. and Amen. We've been looking at the book of Ruth. I believe the Lord led me to that book. Connected with the promise he has given us for this year. He promised us this year as a church and for our churches that he would be believed and we walked in obedience, we would receive an overflow of his spirit, meaning he would bless us to be a blessing to many. That's the primary purpose of a saved life, to be a blessing. To be a blessing, one thing God demands from us is to be consecrated. And if there is any book that teaches about what consecration is, it is that little book with just four chapters, sandwiched between the book of Judges and the book of Samuel, the only book named after a Gentile in the Bible, the book of Ruth. And we saw in the past weeks, we looked at that portion where we see three women, three widows, two Moabite widows, And one Jewish widow on the same road to Judah three widows start on the same road to Judah but their end the three different destinies we all are on the same road but the question is will our destinies be the same what will be our end so we need to, as we study the Bible, in our personal study, some portions we need to study over and over again, especially the parable of the sober, Because he says, that is the master parable that explains all other parables. Every other parable. Read it over and over and over again. What does famine or lack do to us? We saw the book of Judges begins with a famine and what the famine did. The question is, what does famine do to us? Famine means a lack of anything. Lack of anything. Children might be thinking, okay, well, I don't have famine. I get my three meals. I go to school. My fees are paid. But let me tell you, when you go to your examination hall and you suddenly realize the question paper looks like Latin. I don't understand anything. Nothing I have studied has come. What does famine do to you? Do you look across and ask, "Help me"? Do you nudge the one sitting on your left and says, "Can I have a look at your paper, or can you pass your paper"? Or you go to the exam knowing that you have been studied, and so is it on your hands? Is you it in small pieces of paper in your pocket? Because that's what we had to do as invigilators, examiners in those days in school. In college, because you know, children come prepared, not for the exams, but to cheat. What does famine do to you? That's the question. What does famine do to you? So children might think that this doesn't apply to me. It does apply to everybody will be tested with famine. It can be lack of anything. Just not money. Like I said last week, what about if you face a famine of love in a marriage? What do you do? Or lack of peace in a home? Or lack of health in a body? What do you do? Today we heard that Sreaker was leading worship when he talked about Brother Lawrence, right? Brother Lawrence, Srikar? Yeah, that's the person he used. Is it that person who wrote that incredible book? Or is somebody else? Okay, Brother Lawrence, he said he was worshipping. The fact that he was dying is secondary. Okay, look at Sister Gladys. My wife said she's not well, but she's coming to church. She's there before most people. The fact that most people do not know her story. She was bedridden for 10 years, 12 years. Couldn't walk. As far as I know, every servant of God who came to her prophesied she would never walk, she will die. That's what every one of them told. I'm not talking about Gentiles, I'm talking about believers who came and said, you will die. She didn't die. She rose from her bed, took a couple of steps, and came to church. For weeks, months, we carried her up. Then she walked on her own. There she's sitting. Do you believe? Do you believe? What does famine come? What does famine do? If it is a lack of health in your body, what do you do? Anything. Anything. That's a question we need to ask. When there is famine, what will we do? That's what we see in this story. One quits, called Orpha, goes back because she looks, Moab looks green. Especially after listening to Naomi's words, it looks very green. So she goes back. One continues, Naomi, but offended and bitter. She's like the elder son in the prodigal story. Lives in the same house, never understands the heart of the father. Offended, bitter. And then there is Ruth. Okay, we have to learn these principles. We have to be learned to be principles. We have to understand how scripture works, how the kingdom of God works. How the kingdom of God works. It's interesting. Jesus said... Unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, little child, he said you will not enter. Absolute faith. Little ones just receive it like that. Anything you tell them, whatever the parents say. They don't ask questions, especially when they are small. Every meeting, not our church, other places where I go, often a little one will surprise me. Even Thursday's meeting. Completely new setting in the school. Full Lots of children too. And you know, I'm speaking to them of the f- principles. Five, six, seven principles on which the kingdom of God is based. You know, after the meeting, all is over and I finish praying after that. One little kid comes straight to the friend, comes to me, gives me quietly something in my hand and goes. You know what it was? It was a biscuit. Cute. And that's happened to me many times in many meetings. Here I preach to an entire adult crowd, and everything is so. One child will come and give me something like this, and go. That's how the five thousand were fed because one child believed. Okay, we have to understand this is how the kingdom of God works. Now, one of the f- fundamental things you have to be shrewd. Jesus said, "Learn from that shrewd steward." He was very shrewd. You have to be shrewd. God knows when he picks people. He says you need to be shrewd like that guy. He did, suddenly he was hit by famine. Why? His boss said, I understand you're a crook and I'm going to dismiss you. Immediately he called all the creditors and said, how much do you offer the master? This is 10,000. He said, here, take 5,000 off. How much do you offer? Eight. Okay, you take 4,000 off. He said he was smart. Because he knew that once he saw those, these people will show favor to him. He knew what to do in famine. That's what God teaches us about famine. He says, Isaac knew what to do in famine. He obeyed me completely. What did he do? He sowed in famine. If you are shrewd, you will sow now. Not during plenty. Any idiot can sow in plenty. But it takes the shrewd and the smart ones to sow in famine. Because they understand exactly how faith works and how the kingdom of God works. You need to be smart. You need to be smart. That's why I believe, you know, God is smarter than any, any population that he picked that man. Like if he had picked a, a gentle believer like Ben Carson or a world believer like Ted Cruz, they won't take tough decisions when tough decisions are needed. So they took a semi so believer, but he's a tough nut. And he's shrewd, absolutely shrewd businessman that even he's fooled the entire so-called intellectual mainstream media. Because he knew exactly what he was doing and he fooled the whole lot of them that unless you have wisdom, you will not see what this man is doing. He's got to sign extremely difficult executive orders. You know what he did? One day he says, my crowd was bigger than Obama's. How does it matter? But he's smart. Before you know, every news media is only talking about his crowd size and how he lied while he's signing executive orders. (laughs) So there is no huge outcry over these executive orders because they're all talking about this. Crowd size. Second day he's going to sign three or more executive orders, he comes and says three million illegals voted, that's why I lost the popular vote. They said, How can you lie? So all the media is talking about his this thing while he signs three more executive orders. That's why I said, You need to be shrewd and God knows who to pick. He said, Learn from those people, they are smart. They know exactly. And these are CNN, NBC, CBS, all of them. He fooled the whole lot of them. By the time they woke up, it's become law. Okay, so you need to understand. God says, the children of God sometimes are very foolish. They don't understand how the kingdom works. How the kingdom works. Okay. Naomi did not understand how the kingdom worked. But Ruth did. And Ruth was a... Moabite. She was a Gentile. So there is Orpha who turns away, goes back, never hear about her again. There is Naomi kicking in her heels, bitter and walking alone. And then there is Ruth. But like I said last Sunday, the road is the same for everyone. Nobody was born a loser. But everyone was born a chooser. We choose. Like I said last Sunday, there are only very few Big choices in life. If you get those big choices right, all the small ones will fall into place. Big choices. Very few in life. Not many. Very few in life. Big choices. And The biggest choice you will ever make is your choice about Jesus. Like we looked at last Sunday, everyone has to choose. Nobody can say, I will not choose. Because even that is a choice. Everyone has to choose. We are free to make choices, but we are not free to choose the consequences. So if we choose in the flesh, we will reap in the flesh. If we choose in the f- spirit, we will reap in the spirit. That is God's law and no one can overturn it. In Galatians 6 verses 7 to 9, God says, do not be Deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You only reap what you sow. You will never reap what you have in sowed. For he who sows in his flesh will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. You'll only reap corruption. If you sow in the flesh, you can be very sure in your bank account it's growing. What is growing? Corruption. It will come. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap what? Everlasting life. So God says, be wise where you sow. Especially now when you are young so that as you grow older you can harvest. Harvest in the Spirit. But the question is, how do I, I see this Lord, but how do I sow in the spirit? How do I sow in the spirit? And it says S as capital here. So it's just not in my spirit, but sowing in the Holy Spirit. Right? So therefore, Jesus gives the answer in John chapter 6 and verse 63. How do we learn to sow in the spirit? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The works that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. God says, how do you do it? How do you learn? You learn it through scripture. You learn it through scripture. To the carnal man, to the natural man, the words of God, scripture profits nothing. It profits nothing. They get bored. They will come and they will go. They don't stay. They cannot because the flesh profits Nothing. But the words of God are life. And he says what I speak to you are spirit. Understand the primary reason we come to church. We gather together. Especially here. The primary reason we gather in church is that. And it is defined by God the first time the church starts gathering from the very first time. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42 scripture says they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. The primary first reason a church gathers is to learn scripture. To study the word of God. Primary Steadfastly, meaning they were devoted. NIV will say devoted. KJV and KG will say steadfastly, with determination. Rama, that's what is written about Ruth after her sevenfold consecration. She was steadfast that I will follow you. This is something which we need to have straight away in our life. Once you know Christ, Lord, I am going to be devoted. All of my life. To the study of your word. I am steadfast in this. And give me that spirit Lord. I will not turn back from this. But remember. We are not gathering. Or we do not personally study the word of God. For knowledge. Why we study this. Is because in this is Christ revealed. We can make the mistake of what scholars have done of studying scripture without seeking Christ. We study scripture to find Christ. If we study scriptures without the intention of wanting to know Christ better and better, we can become intellectual, knowledgeable in scripture and just become a Pharisee. And I didn't say that. Jesus said that. In John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, this is what he told them. You search the scriptures, for in them you think have eternal life. See, you are searching scriptures, because you think in them you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He says, you are studying the scriptures, studying the scriptures, studying the scriptures, thinking that the scriptures will give you life. No, scriptures cannot give you life. The scriptures will only lead you to me. I give you life. If the scripture hasn't led me each time to Christ, I still fall short of life. Your and my listening of the word, study of the word should constantly lead us to Christ. Because if we come to him, he gives us life. Okay, get this very, very, very clear. Otherwise, we will end up just as intellectuals. We may get a PhD in the Old Testament doctrine and the New Testament doctrine and have very little life. But he said, I have come to give you life life in abundance and he said my words are spirit and life so we need to be steadfast we need to be determined in our study of scripture but we are not studying scripture for scripture's sake we are studying scripture to know Christ better and better that his life becomes our life that is that same word steadfast remember we saw about ruth 's consecration in Ruth one and verse eighteen when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, Naomi gave powerful word she saw Ruth was steadfastly my you couldn 't shake her it made her mind you know God sees that in our hearts he sees he sees everything it's nothing is hidden from his eyes. scripture says. Like I said, three days into his salvation, God saw Paul praying. He says, Ananias, his prayer has moved me. Go. Go. He needs an answer now. Go. Lay your hands upon him. Let his sight be restored. Baptize him. I will give him my spirit. He's a chosen instrument. Why? Because God says, I see his spirit. He's steadfast in following me. There is one thing about Paul. He was very steadfast. Earlier he was determined to shut down Christians. Now he's determined to preach Christ. He never did anything half-heartedly. Which is not a bad thing. You know, even when you are in the secular world and did not know Christ, you should have these qualities like, whatever I do, I do it with all my heart. should not be half-hearted in what you do. That was the kind of person Saul of Tarsus was. So when... He found Christ. He was steadfast. And that's what Ruth did. You see, like I said, this is what holds her sevenfold consecration into place. Like I said, the nut and bolt. Always remember the nut and bolt. You can have all your consecration, but if the nut is in there, they all Fall off. If you have do not have that steadfast spirit that I will follow after God. Okay? Then what happens? Your sevenfold consecration goes up. The sevenfold consecration is like the seven locks of Samson. He says, my strength lies on that. It comes from my consecration. But what did he have? He had no nut. He had no self-control. So he loses it on the life's lap. So many people make their consecration different times, different times, different churches, different meetings. They have come and surrendered over and over again. It is fine. There's nothing wrong. But the problem, why do you keep going back is because we are not steadfast. And don't tell me that you need an extra anointing of the Holy Spirit to be steadfast. No, Ruth could do it. We can do it too. Okay, so don't spiritualize everything and blame it on the flesh because we are very steadfast when we want something in the flesh. And if we are not steadfast, we really never reap the harvest that God has for us because we are not consistent in our walk. So therefore, you know what? God spiritually has to close the Red Sea behind us like he did physically for Israel. If he didn't shut that door, they will escape back to Egypt. God can, God does even today, shut our door behind so that we don't go back to the place where we came from. But we can be so blinded by our flesh, like Balaam, That we are not able to see it is God who has blocked our passage. If God doesn't block our passage, we would go back. And it's very difficult counsel, but when people come to me and ask, tell me, Pastor, I've been struggling for years, I never get my breakthrough. And one of the things I have to tell you is check your flesh. If your flesh is very strong, God will not give you your breakthrough because he loves you. He knows if you get your permission, extra money, exactly where you will go. He blocks you. But sometimes we can be so blinded like Balaam. You know how blinded he was? Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What I have done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand for I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? On which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Who was blocking his road? It was God who was blocking his road. And who is he angry with? The donkey. And God says, prophet, I want you to show you something. That donkey has more sense than you. Balam is so angry with the donkey instead of being angry at himself. Sometimes we are so blinded by our love of, for the world of our flesh and blinded by anger and stubborn because of our self-will. We are not able to see even what a donkey can see. And There are so many like that, like Naomi. You know, Naomi is angry with everything and with God. And the only person she need to be angry with is herself. You are responsible for your mess. You're offended. And it's withholding all the blessings in your life. You know, for all the blessings, I told you this earlier too. The the Sermon on the Mount begins with Blessed are the poor in the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God and goes down and lists the whole thing. And then little later, Jesus gives the nut that keeps all the blessings in place. Every blessing of God. Keep this in heart today, children. Every blessing of God is held together by this one. And if you don't have this, it doesn't matter how much God blesses you, it will all go away. What is that? Matthew 11 and verse 6. Blessed is he who Whosoever shall not be offended in me. What does it mean? People get offended with the word of God. The was offended with God. He says, blessed is he who is by no reason offended with me. Jesus, the word of God. Why? Why does he say so? He himself gives the answer in scripture in Proverbs 18 and verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. A person who is offended by the word of God, it is more difficult to restore him back to God than anybody else. Anybody else. It's easier for God to lead Ruth through Naomi than to lead Naomi. Jesus, know me, you are like Balaam. I cannot speak to you. I cannot. Ruth is just like a donkey. She doesn't know anything. But you know what? I can speak to her. Because she is not offended. You are offended. Beware of offense. Do not get offended with the word of God. See, that's the difference between Peter and Judas. God rebuked, Jesus rebuked Peter more severely than he rebuked Judas. But Peter was never offended. Get behind me, Satan! Okay, okay, <laughs> Lord. Never offended. Judas was offended because Jesus publicly told him about Mary's splurge of that anointing oil and Judas was offended and therefore he could not be restored. These are fundamentals of consecration. Like I said, no, last Sunday, If you didn't get anything else, you have to decide, whom shall I serve? If you don't get anything else, today make this consecration, Lord, help me. Never ever to be offended by your word. Doesn't matter from whom it comes. Never to be offended. Guard my heart, O Lord, from offense. Remember, that's what Jesus said in that parable of the sower. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 to 21. He that received the seed into the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and uh, no, it's, it's uh, old English. I wanted KJV, that's why I asked him to put KJV. With joy, with great joy receives it. Yet he has not root in himself, but endureth for a while, For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He gets offended. He receives the word with great joy. But every word you and I receive personally from God has to be tested. And when the testing comes, people get offended. Offended. That's where you need to be steadfast about it. The word you and I have, Received from God has to be tested. Otherwise, how will we know it is true? Unless it is tested. Let me tell you, the greater the promise you personally receive from God, the greater it will be tested in your life. Everybody's testing is not the same. It is depending upon the promise you receive from God. The greater the promise you have received, the greater you will be tested in life. In Psalm 105, verses 17 to 19, this is what scripture says. He, who is that? God. Not his brothers who sold him. It was God. Sent a man before them. Joseph was sold as a slave. He was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons, chained. Why? Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. He was given a dream at 17. You will be a king. You will be crowned. All your brothers, your whole family will bow down before you. You are like any excited teenager. Boy, he went around and shared his vision with everybody. Do you know what I saw yesterday? Boy, do you know? So excited. But God says, now you're going to be tested. And I'm going to see during these tests, because of promise you have received, whether you will be offended or not. If you are offended, You are not worthy to be, that promise to be fulfilled in your life. You have to prove yourself that you're worthy of the promise that you have received. And most people do not realize that along with that every promise you receive, there is a test. And the word of the Lord tested him. What is the word of the Lord? You will reign. That's the promise given to every child of God in the new covenant. If you suffer with him, you will reign. We want to take the suffer out and we want to reign. And God says, it does not work. It does not work. No. And it's a constant test or a constant temptation to step outside the circle God has put around you. It will be a test or a temptation. Joseph was both tested and tempted to step out of the circle because Of the word of God he received. Something which I share once in a while. Acts chapter 18 and verse 27. This is about uh, 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 Apollos. When he decided to cross to Achaia. The brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Now this doesn't make any sense to anybody sitting here. It is just church history. Right? Does it make any sense other than history? Because that's how the promise, when God gives you a promise, it's history for the rest, but something specific to you. This is the promise he gave me years and years ago, so only I could interpret it. Nobody else could. He said, I have called you only to speak to those who believe I haven't sent you to the Gentiles. I haven't sent you to the Gentiles. I have sent you only to teach the believers and strengthen them. Till my last meeting, that is Thursday meeting, the meeting was over, a man comes, sits next to me and says, this week, February 1, 2, 3 is our church's 30th or 40th anniversary and the third day is a very large general meeting, can you come and speak? First question I asked him, is it only believers or half of are going to be Gentiles? He said, no, there will be lots of Gentiles. I said, sorry, sir, I cannot come. He said, why? I said, because this is what he told me consistently, year after year, month after month, I have to remember this to know that there will be tests, there will be temptations, stay within line. I gave you the promise, you will be tested, you will be tempted. Because your flesh likes, wow, going to be 2,000 people, going to be 3,000 people, there's going to be 5,000 people, let me go. God says, stay. I didn't send you to them. Somebody else who has been called for that will be sent. So we need to curb And stay within. There will be testings. There will be temptations. But know what you have been called to do. So, like I said to them that day, everything that God begins in us, begins with a promise. Everything. Everything God begins in us, begins with a promise. And the first promise God begins in anybody's life is John 3.16. What is that? God so loved. It's a general promise. You know, you have general practitioners and you have specialists. Okay? This is a general promise to the whole world. Understand general promise and specific promises. It is not the same. Okay? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That's general promise. Everything begins with that promise. But once anyone who sees that promise and receives that promise, it becomes something else. John 1:12, What is? As many as received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God. You need to understand these two difference. God doesn't love the world. And God doesn't love the church in the same way. He doesn't. It's not the same. People say. I've heard theologians also say. Which is not true. He loves the whole world. And he's given them. His son. But everyone who receives the son, what do they become? Children of God. That's the first thing you need to be very clear about. Who are you? I'm a child of God and my father loves me. Okay. I'll explain to you in which, so that you will understand what. Okay. I love all of you. But you know that boy sitting over there? It's different. Because he's my flesh. He's my blood. It's absolutely nothing he can do to stop me from loving him. Nothing. Why? Because he's part of me. There is absolutely nothing you or I can do that will stop God from loving us. Understand that we are his children. It's not the same for the world because scripture says God is angry with the wicked every day. It's different. Those are the things which should change our eyes and say, you know what? I can drag myself and go back because he's my father. Like children, they go happily, then they have done something wrong and they don't know how to go back home. They come back like this. But still they come back because you know that is home and that's where my daddy and mommy is. You can drag yourself and go back because he is your father. Get those things. John 3.16 and John 1.12 are not the same. He loves his own. He loves his children. We are born by his own spirit. And therefore, we are his children. If you get the second promise right, then you will get the third promise also into place. The third promise is Psalm 127 and verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Don't build anything on your own. He has to build. Why? Because what he builds, he always finishes. What he builds, you don't have to labor. You don't have to struggle. He does the work. And you will see that consistent in the Bible. In John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So we were not just chosen, but we were chosen with a purpose. What is that purpose? To bear fruit. Don't make the same mistake Israel made. Don't make the mistake which Israel made. You know what Israel made? Because they thought they were chosen without purpose. We are chosen with a purpose. In Matthew 21, 43, he said this to Israel. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation, bearing the fruits of it. Bearing the? He says the kingdom of God. You may be a child, but if you don't, don't. Bear fruit, I will give you, I will take what I have given to you, the talent, the gift, the power, the authority and give it to somebody else who will bear fruit. You will still be my child. You will not inherit anything. I will give it to those who bear fruit. Okay. But to bear fruit Scripture is very clear. In John 15 and verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus says the only way you and I can bear fruit is by abiding in Christ. And That is a choice we are looking at today. That is a choice you and I have to make Every day. And that is the first choice Ruth will make in her declaration. The first choice Ruth will make in Ruth 1 and verse 16. She will say, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. The first of a sevenfold consecration. For wherever you go, I will go. What is the first consecration? Wherever you go. I will go. Neither the world represented by Orpha nor the lukewarm Christian represented by Naomi is going to stop me from following hard after God. If you really want to consecrate 2017 in following God, five weeks are over, 47 weeks are still left, 11 months are still left. Learn from Ruth. I'm going to go after God. Hard. It's a consecration, a decision I choose. Listen to David in Psalm 63 and verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. In famine, when everything is dry and barren, do we still long after God like David? This is an Old Testament saint. Will we come to a point where we can really say, Lord, I long you, I desire you more than anything else in my life. I seek after you. My flesh longs after you. My soul thirsts after you. It is you that I seek. That's what Ruth is saying. I will go where you go. Can we come to the place like the sons of Korah in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2? As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Sons of Korah? Interesting. Can we follow after God that way? Look at verse 3. Can I have verse 3, Sam? Sorry, I didn't put it down. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Where is your God? People mock you in your workplace. People mock you in your classrooms if you stand up. But all you cry out is, Lord, I want you more and more. Who are these sons of Korah? We know their history. Number 16 and verse 26 when judgment came. He spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of the wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. Who are these wicked men? Korah, Datam, and Abiram. This says, Depart. Verse 32 says, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, and all the men with Korah with all their goods. All. First time you see literal depiction of what hell will be like. The earth opened, and these men... And all those who stood with them all went. Numbers 26 verse 10 says it was a sign. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died. When the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. They became a sign. It's interesting. Verse 11 says but nevertheless the children of Korah did not die. Children of Korah? did not die. The children of Abiram died. The children of Datan died. The children of Korah did not die. Why? Because in 1624, he must have seen an incredible sight. Speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Datan and Abiram. At that time, when God said, get away, the sons of Korah broke away from their own father and ran to the Lord's side. These are the ones, their dissonance, who are crying out to God, as the deer pandeth for the water, so my soul longs after you. Who are you? You are the one who swallowed my father in hellfire. But I love you with all my heart and I seek you. I am not offended with you or by your actions. Can we write a song like that? Can we? Do you know what it means when these people say, these people scorn me day in and day out, where is your God? When my cry to you is, Lord, I just want to be with you. Can we follow after God like David? Like the sons of Korah? Or like Ruth? That's why he said we are making eternal choices as we make these little choices and big choices here on earth one day. Because we all follow Christ. But differently. One day all of heaven will see a very select group. Bible talks about them. And we have looked at it in many times. Revelation 14.1. And I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. With him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And what is special about them. Verse 4 says. These were the ones who were not defiled with women for their virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb. Wherever he goes. What is so special about them in eternity? They follow the Lamb wherever they go. Why? In eternity. Why? Because on earth, they followed him wherever he led. All the days of their life on earth. They had many trials, many testings, many temptations. That is represented by this. The trials, the testings, the temptations. But they chose, because they realized we are born choosers, not losers. And they chose to follow and to be led by him on earth. This was Ruth's first declaration, where you go, I will go. The question is, are we willing to be led? Even if the person God uses to lead us is somebody like Naomi. Everybody sitting here will say, Lord, if you personally lead me, I will go wherever you take me. God leads like that. Nobody. Nobody. Not even Moses. Moses had to be led by Jethro for 40 years before God will speak to him. You are a heart nut to crack. You are a stubborn soul. You know what? I am going to see whether you can be led by your father-in-law for 40 years before I will speak to you and lead you myself. Jesus had to be led by Joseph and Mary for years before he's led by the Spirit himself. Our thing is that we all want to be independent. God says there is nothing like that. Even my son when he came on earth wasn't independent. He was dependent on earthly people to be led. Can we be led by somebody as harsh and as bitter as Naomi but who still speaks the truth? That's why Jesus said, you know what? Listen to what the Pharisees says. Don't follow them. Don't live like them, but listen to them. Because they know the truth. Now we knew the truth. But don't be like her Ruth. Will we be led? Scripture says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God shall be called the sons of God. But the Spirit of God leads us through other people. Before he will start leading us individually. When Rebecca was asked a question. Will you go? What did she say? They called Rebecca and said to her. Will you go with this man? And she said. I will go. Really Rebecca? Do you know this man? No I don't know. Will you go with this man? Yes I will. Eliezer is a type of the Holy Spirit. Who will lead her to the tents of Abraham. The type of God the Father. To forever to settle down with Isaac. A type of Jesus. Will you go? Yes I will go. But wait a second. In the Old Testament, the desire of every woman was to get married and settle down. And Rebecca has been listening very careful to Eliezer's story. And what was Eliezer saying? What was he saying? He said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and has become great. And has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Can you imagine? Rebecca's eyes must have become like saucers. Boy, the most eligible Bachelor on earth. Where was she going? To the most eligible bachelor on earth. And Ruth, where is she going? Poor Moabite widow going to Israel. The God of that nation called Moab my washbasin. To live among a people that held Moabites with utter contempt. And who are you going with? Another poor widow. And what are you going to? No idea. A bleak future. According to Naomi's own words. That's why Ruth's consecration is greater. Like I told the pastors. Than probably anybody else in the Old Testament. Greater consecration than probably anybody else's in the Old Testament. And most of New Testament. In the New Testament at least they were promised a kingdom and power and authority. And all kind of things. Ruth is promised nothing. What are you going to Israel for? To be a wash pot. What do you want? I would rather be spat upon by the living God than to dwell in the dwellings of the wicked. That's a consecration. I would rather be spat upon by the living God than to be seated in the throne of Satan. That's what I choose. That's what she chose. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, all these people were promised blessings. Ruth was promised nothing. Abraham tarried in Haran for years in spite of all that was promised. His companion who went with him, Lot pulled out, went in with the crowd into Sodom. And when God personally intervened and sent two angels to pull him out, Out of Sodom to a place of safety. You know what scripture says in Genesis? While he lingered, he still hesitating to be pulled out. And the angels had to forcibly pull him out. Elisha the Great, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, when he was called to follow Elijah, do you know what he said? He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother. Then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what I have done to you. You want to go back to say bye to daddy and mummy? What I got to do with you? This is Elisha. Your Ruth is being told, Go back to your father. Go back to your mother. You got a wonderful future over there. She said, No, I will not. I will not. Entreat me not to do that. I will go where you go. The rich young ruler when he was told to sell all that he had to follow Jesus turned away sadly. Even the disciples who left everything to follow Jesus were hoping the kingdom would come and they would have positions and authority and power. What about Ruth? She never doubted. She never hesitated. She had no hopes in Canaan. And what little of Christ she saw in Naomi. She clung to that. I will go where you go. The question is, can we say that? No turning back. These are life-changing, eternity-defining statements and moments movement, in a person's life. When you really, from your heart, bend down on your knees in your prayer closet and say, Lord, I will go where you go. The only man like that I see in the old, co- in the New Covenant is Paul. The day he met Christ, he bent his knee and says, what will you have me do? Meaning, whatever you ask me to do is fine. Wherever you take me is fine. I will go where you go. And he never turned back after that. Never turned back. Do you remember the scene? When Absalom has taken over Jerusalem and King David is fleeing Jerusalem with a few set loyal people. He's fleeing Jerusalem. Absalom has taken over. He doesn't even know whether he will ever come back to Jerusalem alive or not. Or this is the end. Because they are getting ready for war. And the people, the crowds, everybody has moved on to Absalom's side. While he is leaving Jerusalem, a set of loyal followers follow him. Along with the ones who follow him is a Gentile. Part of the mercenaries those days also joined kings. His name is Itai. Itai the Gittite. Where is he from? From the original Goliath's hometown. He's from Goliath's hometown. He's a Hittite. He is not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. He's part of somebody who probably joined very late to David's army. And you know what? David looks at him and says, What are you following me for? You have no hope and future in following me. You can go. Go back. I'm not holding anything. You back. Go. Make your own future. Go back wherever you want to go. Make your future. Do you know what Itai says? In Second Samuel 15 verse 21. Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my the Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Son of the Gentile in the Bible. He has no clue where David is going. He has no idea whether David will come back alive. Everything looks like David will die and his soldiers will die in battle because the army, the people all have shifted on to Absalom's side. That is why he doesn't say life first. He says death first. Wherever the king shall be, whether in death or life. I see death. I don't see with my physical eyes you surviving this. I see you dying in that case. I choose to die with you. Did you see the head of secret service office in Denver, the lady who posted in her Facebook that I will not take a shot for this president and she's been asked to go and leave because every secret service agent who is enlisted is being asked to take a bullet for the president if you choose to serve. And if you see the president being fired, shot upon, you choose to block him with your own body and she said I will not so the secret service asked her to go on leave this is exactly why Itai says I will die for you I will not leave you I will not leave you God says Gentile another Gentile can we say wherever my Lord Jesus in death or life I go where you go that's what's written about Jesus in Isaiah 50, verse 7. The Lord will help me, and therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. Flint means stone. I have set my face like a stone towards Jerusalem and to the cross. I will not draw back. My father has told me, you need to go and die on the cross in Jerusalem. And I am not going to draw back question is, can we be led? Are we people who will follow? Follow? Christ? No conditions? No strings attached? Where you go, I will go. Look at the lives of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the three patriarchs. Of these three, one person alone, Isaac's life is characterized by peace. You know that? There is no conflicts in his life. No conflicts. In his life, absolutely by peace. Abraham's life, lots of conflicts. Jacob's life, full of conflicts. One man in the middle, no conflicts at all. Why? Because he was willing to be led, willing to follow. He was led to the mountain, led to the altar, tied to the altar, led to his marriage. And he waited on the Lord 20 years for his wife to conceive. He was always willing to follow. Therefore, he had peace. Numbers chapter 9 verses 15 to 23 describes the movement of Israel in the wilderness. It's, it's, I'm reading eight verses, okay? Now on the day the tabernacle was raised up. As soon as the tabernacle was raised up. Okay? What was raised up? Spiritually, as soon as the kingdom of God is established in us. We come. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is his authority and his righteousness. As soon as it happens in us. God knows when it happens. You know what will come over us? The cloud will cover the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit will come. Because he knows we are ready to be led. If we are not yet led. It's because he knows we are not ready to follow. Because the tabernacle hasn't come up yet. As soon as the tabernacle came, the tent of testimony from evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey in the place where the cloud settled, there the children would Israel would pitch their tents at the command of the Lord the children of Israel would journey and at the command of the Lord they would camp as long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle they remained encamped even when the cloud continued along many days above the tabernacle the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey so it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days according to the command of the Lord they would remain encamped and according to the command of the Lord they would journey So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remain encamped At the command of the Lord, their journey. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. How were they led? They were led by the cloud. Representing the Holy Spirit. They were led by the... So it didn't matter. It could be two days. It could be one year. They didn't move. They didn't move. Or it would be short notice one day move. And they moved. Who was in control? The Holy Spirit was control. In control. That's the question. Hebrews. Sorry. But remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Chapter 2 and verse 5. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud. They were baptized in the cloud. The cloud was over them. By the hand of Moses. They were all being led by the Holy Spirit. But what does verse 5 say? But all oh, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Meaning, you can be led by your feet and just rebel in your heart. What does it mean? A church go in one direction because the hand of Moses is leading them. So everybody goes in one direction. But everybody is not moving in their hearts. Outwardly, if you look at Egypt, Israel, cloud moves. Israel packs up and moves. Cloud stops, everybody sh- packs, unpacks and stays. Cloud moves again, they move. But in their hearts, they never moved with the cloud. Be careful. They always had to look up for guidance. We are also told to look up for guidance. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, the difference. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great, what? Our cloud is what—a cloud of witnesses. There are cloud of witnesses who have gone before and still living. That's why we talk about these witnesses, old witnesses. We talk about Vijay. We'll talk about John Piper. He's old. Consistently, we look at them. One in that cloud. It's not one who's gone before but living. you will talk about Zach Poonen, or you we'll talk about Ravi Zach. I looked at his 2017 January 4th. Message, I was listening last week. Wow, old man. I don't know how old he is now. 75, 76, 78. Because this huge university crowd speaking. What grace. Cloud. But what about the others? He mentioned A.W. Tozer. One name. How many clouds of witnesses in our time? Living time. 18th century, 19th century, 17th century. It's a cloud. We look at them. And we look at so many others who come on TV. Look at the cloud ahead. We look at them. We look at the cloud and says, you know what? There's something wrong here. There's something wrong here. Something wrong here. God also calls them a cloud. But he calls them cloud without water. He sees in the Bible. He says cloud without water. Yeah, in the book of Jude. He says they are cloud without water. These are clouds with water. Difference. Cloud of witnesses. Two. And then, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. He's given us both. One, the invisible one. Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Second, the visible one. The witnesses, the saints who have gone before us and living in our times. He says, look at them. Keep your eyes focused on this. On Christ Jesus and the cloud of witnesses. Always, always look at this. That is where we go wrong. We go wrong is that one, we only look at Jesus, but he's invisible. Because he's invisible, invisible things can be interpreted many ways. But the cloud of witnesses who are gone about are visible. And you will see: Spurgeon looks the same. Tozer looks the same. Piper sounds the same. Zach Bunen sounds the same. But why do people dislike Zach Bunen so much? He sounds like all the other saints. all sound the same all the old saints they all sound the same they had nothing new to say everybody was consistent in what they said they though lived in different times and nobody knew each other they all spoke the same cloud of witnesses and looking unto jesus that's god says they were called to follow the cloud we are also followed asked to follow the cloud not the crowd The title of today's message is follow the cloud, not the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. When you choose to follow somebody, look for someone who is a witness. Who is a witness of the authentic life of Jesus Christ. The doctrines of Christ revealed through scripture. Look for a witness. The witnesses... This is in Hebrews 12, are described in Hebrews 11, of which I only want to look at five verses. We want to look at everybody, just five verses quickly, so we balance both. Verse 33 onwards, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, so escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle Turn to flight the armies of the aliens. We look at this. Women receive the dead raised to life again. Usually we read only this much. We love that part. Wow. I want to shut some mouths of lions too. Okay. I want to break down some teeth or some cities. Okay, all that. But second part of it. This is also faith. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Because they accept deliverance. They had to compromise on Christ. So they said, No deliverance, we'll die. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had the trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into two. They were tempted. were slain with the sword. They were wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains. In dens and the caves of the earth. Both are witnesses. Both are witnesses. Don't accept only one witness. That's the problem in the prosperity gospel. They accept only one witness. They don't accept the second witness. The problem is when you only accept partially one witness, you are bending the sovereignty of God, which you cannot. No man can bend the sovereignty of God. They accepted the sovereignty of God. You can deliver us, or you can allow us to be delivered in the hands of our enemy. Both are okay with us. But one thing we know, we will only follow you. In life or death... Or in death or life, you and you alone we follow. Don't follow the crowd. Because if you follow the crowd, the crowd will follow you, draw you away from the cloud. That's the problem. In first Samuel chapter fifteen, verse twenty four, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the crowd. I was afraid of the crowd. The crowd pulled me away from the cloud. I know what I was anointed to do. I know I was given a new heart. I know the Holy Spirit had come upon me with power. But the crowd pulled me away from the cloud. Numbers 14 verses 1 to 4. All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. What were they doing? The crowd was separating away from Moses into whom they were baptized in the cloud. They said, no, we are not going to follow you anymore. We want to pick another leader who will do according to what we wish. That's the problem with the crowd. Look at verse 6. The ones who impassioned flee. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied up the land, tore their clothes and they said, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. In verse 30, what does God say? Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Why? Because you have blasphemed against my Holy Spirit. You cannot enter. They too will enter. Because you will not be led by the cloud. You are led by the crowd. So don't follow the crowd. Follow the cloud. Your flesh won't like where the cloud leads you, where the Holy Spirit leads you, but follow him. Hebrews 13 verses 13 and 14 says, Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp. In the camp is the crowd. Go outside the crowd bearing his reproach for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Let's go outside the camp, outside the crowd and follow him. The Holy Spirit will only lead you where Jesus is. He doesn't lead you to the city. And here spiritually talking about where the crowd is. He will lead you outside where he is. He will lead you and me to the cross. Shikhar was telling today about the cross. He will lead you to the cross. And to a life that is on the other side of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me ask you this question. Whenever you hear about the cross, about sacrificing yourself, nailing your flesh, making these efforts and all, do you sound, does it sound foolish? It's very simple to know whether you're perishing or whether you're being saved. Just look at these words. If you dislike all those messages on the cross and dying to self, And being devoted to God. And standing up for Christ. And face the reproach and the scorn. You are upset and angry with those messages. You are perishing. Because the message of the cross is foolishness to only those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved. It is the power of God. It is the power of God. That is how people in their own hearts choose churches. There are only two kinds of churches in the whole world. Ones who preach the cross and ones who don't preach the cross. Every church preaches Christ. Every church preaches Christ. But all churches don't preach the cross. And it is not Christ who divides. It is the cross that divides. That's why Jesus says we preach Christ crucified. The cross divides. Have you found the message of the cross foolishness? Ruth did not find the message of the cross foolishness. That's the that's the message Naomi preached to her. Go back. Go back. You got nothing here. What are you going to Israel for? There's nothing there. As far as I can see, it is terrible for you. It is famine for you. It is death for you. It is destruction for you. You have no future. On the other hand, you have future in Moab. You can get a husband. You're young. You're pretty. You got no children either. Some Moabite guy you would marry. You can settle down, start all over again. And now look, your, your co-Indian term, co-sister-in-law, right? She has made the right choice. Look at her. She's gone. Be smart like Orpha. She said, entreat me. Entreat me. The message of the cross, O Naomi, is not foolishness to me. I want to receive the cross. I want to embrace the cross. I receive the message of the cross. I want to follow you. Where you go. Can we say to the Holy Spirit, where you go, I will go? Lead me, O Spirit of God. It doesn't matter whether it is green pastures or the value of shadow of death. It doesn't matter. I will follow you. I will trust you. With all my heart. I will follow you. Because true liberty is found in only one place and one place alone on earth. In 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Lord is the spirit, the spirit of the Lord is there only. It is liberty. Where does the Holy Spirit lead us always to the cross? When we reach the cross and allow the cross to work in us, you suddenly realize, I am free. I am free from the burden of the flesh, from my intellectual arguments. I am free. But the cross is foolishness only to those who are perishing. But those who are perishing, they listen to the message of the crowd. Come on, let's go back to Egypt. You know what we will do? We will go back to Egypt and fall at Pharaoh's feet and say, forgive us. We were misled by those two guys, Moses and Aaron. We have come back to offer our services to you. Let us live with you as your slaves. We will serve you. Just give us that old diet. That's fine. We'll come back. We'll come back. But the scripture says, There is nowhere else where there is liberty. Only one place where the Holy Spirit lead us. Can we make Holt's correction now? 47 more weeks. Don't let fear take you away from the cloud by one of the most anointed men in the Bible called David. Led by the Holy Spirit. Protected by the Holy Spirit. And then fear came in. He thought in his mind, if things go on like this, Saul will kill me. What did he do? He went into the Philistine camp for 16 months. Terrible record. Why? He stopped following the cloud. Oh, don't let pride stop you. Like Uzziah. As long as he allowed God to teach him and lead him, scripture says he prospered. And then pride came in. And he couldn't be led anymore. And from that day till he died, he lived as a leper outside the tabernacle. Why? Pride. This morning I would ask the worship team to come. We just ask ourselves. Don't take anything lightly. Don't even take your self-determination seriously. It's only he, he who can. That's why we consecrate ourselves. We only see once in scripture on the road to Damascus. But I believe when he said, I die daily, I believe every night of every day of his life, Paul went on his knees and surrendered himself over and over again. Back to that God who called him on the road and said, Lord, save me for myself. Lead me, O Lord. Lead me. Lead me. Lead me me until I finish this journey. Lead me, O Lord. This morning, it's a personal decision. These are not crowd decisions, okay? These are personal decisions. Nobody as a crowd can, as a crowd cannot make this decision. Only individuals can make this decision. It was Ruth's personal decision. Where you go, I will go. It was Itai's personal decision. Where you go, I will go. We can start like Abraham, end up like Lot this morning, shall we stand up as we sing that song? If it's from your lips, we will enjoy the music. If it's from your heart, the Lord sees it. Shall we sing?
1: Shepherd of my soul, I give you full.
0: carnal crowd this is intellectual crowd this is fearful crowd this is scornful crowd I don't know which crowd you're attracted to but above all the most most dangerous crowd for the religious is a crowd that is offended you see when Jesus said blessed is he who does not fall away because of offense He was talking to the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. The greatest born of women in the Old Testament according to Jesus' own words. John was offended that because of his preaching he ended up in prison. He was offended. That's why he sent his disciples to ask Jesus are you the one to come or should we look for somebody else? The reason he asked the question The unspoken question was, if I was preaching your word, then why am I in prison? He was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets and he was offended. That's why Jesus says, guard your heart from offense. Guard your heart from offense. Don't fall away because of offense. The scripture says, It's more difficult to restore an offended brother. The scornful brother can be restored. On the cross, both the thieves were mocking Jesus. But after a while, one stopped and he cried out to Jesus. And Jesus gave him the promise, tonight you will be with in paradise. He was part of the scorning crowd. The disciples had locked themselves up in the upper room because of fear. They were the fearful crowd. But when the resurrected Savior appeared, he said, peace, fear not. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came, they become the fearless crowd. Moses and Jacob all were part of the proud crowd. But when God had finished their work in them, they were among the meekest of men. All these people could be restored. The most dangerous in the church is offense. Whatever it is that we struggle with, Only the Holy Spirit knows. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Let the Spirit of God show each one what will stop you from following Christ this year. Surrender that into His hands today. Say, Lord, like Ruth, I want to say, wherever you go I go where you go where you lead I will follow if it is to the city I will go where you are if it is outside the city that's where I will be Help me to follow the cloud, Lord, not the crowd. Father, this morning we come to you as blood-washed children, born of your own very spirit, children of God. Father, I pray, search our hearts. For we ourselves do not know our hearts, only you know. Search of our inner man and show Lord what is there in us that would stop us from following you all the way. You show us. Help us not to be turned away by like Solomon or fall headlong like Samson. All this were written in scripture for our sake. As examples to us upon whom the end of ages have come. Help us to learn and put no trust in ourselves. But in only you and you. And I pray father especially for the church for these young ones. That you will give them that desire. To search and to learn from this cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. That you would put in us the hunger to read, to listen about the saints that have gone before us, who have walked that walk and died that death in honor, whom you have received in glory. Create, O Lord, that the fascination for images will just die when we would turn our hearts back to the written word again. Learn of you and learn of your true servants, the ages past. Help us to redeem our time this year, for the days are evil. Touch, Lord, touch. And all those things in us that is not of you, let it fall to the ground and die, Lord. Let it die. But let all that is of you rise up and be strengthened even more, O oh God that we would finish this race to which you have placed each one. Shepherd of our soul, lead us. Lead us. 11 months ahead of us, lead us. Lead your people. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. Another week, another month begins. We know nothing that awaits us. You know everything Go before us Let every crooked path Be made straight Let every rough road Be made smooth Let every valley Every ditch be filled Let every mountain Be brought low Not that we can walk In ease But so that the prince of glory Might be manifested in our lives So that the Gentiles Might see that light Rise upon your people Call upon the name of Jesus. Take us, O oh Lord, in the path you have chosen for us. Let no man, no soul, turn back. For your word says in Hebrews 10:38, my righteous who walk by faith, if he turns back, my soul will not be pleased with him. Help us not to turn back, Lord. Not today, not this week, not this month, not the days that are ahead but to follow you, Spirit of God, where you lead us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We just thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, and your compassion towards us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We now, Father, by faith, we just lift up holy hands and we just bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.